The St Albans Film Guide with Simon Carver, hosted by Danny Smith. Welcome to another edition of the St Albans Film Guide. Uh, Simon Carver is here uh, with us in our virtual studio. Hello, Simon. Hello. Hi. And uh, normally in this first part, we would look at the new releases uh, on on the streaming services. There are no uh, new films uh, of note to talk about this week. Amazon Prime don't have any new releases this week. They've got some coming up next week. And um, uh, Netflix had one uh, in the next week, of which we thought it wasn't really worth talking about. But but we were just saying off there how interesting it is that... um, uh, that the Oscar nominations that came out this week uh, have, have been dominated by Netflix and Amazon original um, movies, and uh, and one of the ones that that stood out to me that that I was very impressed by was uh, the Trial of the Chicago Seven, which came out. Um, uh, uh, I think it was perhaps toward the end of last year that, that I think that was released on uh, Netflix and that's um, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin and based on a, a true story about um, seven people on trial um, uh, and, and it's it's all to do with um, an uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Illinois and um, and some great actors in there including Eddie Redmayne, uh, Mark Rylance and Sasha Baron Cohen and I noticed as well that Sasha Baron Cohen had been nominated for I think a best of Supporting actor Oscar, which um, uh, sort of you know, given that he was Ali G and Borat, you sort of forget that, may, or, or you perhaps you don't appreciate that he can actually also do um, straight um, performances as well. Um, but yes, he's been nominated for best supporting at, um, Oscar for that uh, role, and um, it's also been nominated for best picture, best original screenplay, um, and um, and a few other nominations as well. Six it's had in total just from the Oscars this week. Um, and then there his, was um, his Bor- Borat, that latest Borat film was also um, nominated as well, wasn't it? Or, or yes. Best Supporting Actress. Yeah, was, I, think, uh, I think that had one or two nominations, um, including, yeah, the Best Supporting Actress for the, the woman who played his daughter, mm-hmm. um, which, <laughs> yeah, um, uh, and uh, I'm surprised that they didn't get like Best Supporting Actor um, nomination there for Rudy Giuliani, who, uh, who of course, featured toward yeah. the end of that movie. But um, but yeah, um, other other ones that stood out to me were um, uh, Mank, which we mentioned, which I think was another Netflix movie. It was certainly one of the streaming services that that was released on. Yes, it was Netflix, and um, and in particular, um, th- this is from um, David Fincher from Seven, uh, amongst other things, and um, that's been nominated for. Um, loads of, of um, Oscars uh, including Best Picture uh, Best Actor for Gary Oldman uh, Best Director, Best Supporting Actress for Amanda Seyfried um, Gollum as I believe you called her um, and uh, and a few other nominations as well so uh, so yeah so I guess unsurprisingly in, a, in, a, in an era where cinemas are, are not are not functioning um, that there's going to be so much from uh, original movies from the likes of Netflix and Amazon that are going to be dominating the Oscars yeah, I think um, I don't know. We we, we were driving past the uh, uh, Jarman Park multiplex the other day, and because uh, that's a Cine World, isn't it? I think over there, uh, and I, Cine which has gone bust, isn't it? Yeah, they yeah. went bust. Um, so you, you know, and and that has a knock-on effect to that whole strip along there, presumably. Um, you know, well, yeah, one was, would imagine so because that, most of it is eateries now over at Jarman exactly. Park, and, you, and you'd and imagine that it was go get something to eat and then go and see a film. Yeah, so I don't know quite what's going to happen there, but um, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, there aren't that many cinema. I mean, obviously, we've got our own Odyssey, which I think will will continue to do well because it's it, it's it's an experience, not just a not just a cinema. Actually, they, they could put that on the poster, couldn't they? Um, but it, it's you know we've got the view at Watford, we've got the Odeon at uh, Hatfield, I suppose. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot around now. And, it, and it's not, I don't think it's, I think the Odyssey will be different, but for those other sort of um, commercial, more commercial cinemas, I think it's going to be, um, uh, it's not just about reopening the doors. <coughs> I, th- I think mm. they're going to have to really hope that they can somehow have these sort of big, um, what do they call them, the, 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 these sort of uh, big, big um, tentpole movies, is that the phrase? There's a there's a particular phrase where basically you know like people who don't normally go to the cinema would come out to see, for example, a Bond film or mm. or certain other films that would be the the big big draw, and, and I guess that that they're going to be hoping that, um, that that some of those might pull people back into the cinema and then back into the habit of going to the cinema. Maybe yeah, I, I, it may be tempo. I was thinking Mark. <laughs> what when you said tempo, I was thinking Marquee. Um, might have been but, a marquee I don't know there's a phrase yeah. it's something to do with canvas I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, it could be a marquee one I don't mm. know but but certainly they're going to need something I think the Odyssey would be different because I think a lot of people yeah. love the idea of the the Odyssey and they love the, exactly. the, the, the range yeah. of old and new movies yeah, um, yeah. But, but I think a different that experience the, very much yeah so. the old multiplexes are going to need to do something mm. to really pull people mm. back and now that that um, the streaming services have taken such a foothold in um, the the way that um, they are now controlling releases of films and producing and releasing their own movies, um, it'd be I, I can't imagine it's ever going to go back to how it was. I, I suspect what will happen will be different to what we've had mm. before. Um, Which, of course, is what's being said about all sorts of things, isn't it? Well, yeah, mm. quite. Um, and, and whether or not that's a good or a bad thing, because these, you know, there used to be the argument that you can't. It's not the same watching a film at home as it is watching it on the big screen with with the sound and everything. Whereas these days, a lot of people actually have setups that that could almost rival a cinema. Mm. You know, that the, 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 they would have a screen that was sixty inches. You know, easily these days people have screens yeah. this big and cinema sound and everything. Yeah, um, so you can get more of that experience, but. Anyway, we shall see. Mm. Anyway, so suffice to say, new, no new releases to talk about this week. Mm. But um, we will. Ha- we've got. We've got a few next week, so we will, we look forward to talking about those then. Uh, but in a moment, we'll be back to look at Simon's uh, choice of films on free to air TV for the forthcoming week, and I'll put a few in as well just to round it out somewhat. Uh, don't go anywhere. Hi, I'm Matt Adams, the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over 10 years. Join me and host Danny Smith for St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as our delve into the local stories that matter, we regularly cover topics including health, food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. Time now for us to take a look at uh, Simon Carver's choice of films on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. And uh, I've thrown uh, some of mine in there as well. 
and that uh, we start off with Friday the 19th of uh, March and um, Simon has chosen 8.15pm on Talking Pictures TV The Plank yeah it's a, a, a little silent comedy uh, from writer-director Eric Sykes Eric Sykes uh, w- was uh, uh, I don't know quite when he died I'm assuming he's died um, he, he was uh, a, a very much a, a British comic he had played sort of comic characters he did stuff with Hattie Jakes uh, at one stage as well uh, and this is a very straightforward thing it's about two builders delivering wood to a house and you know the old thing about when you turn around if you're carrying a plank you can you knock somebody over and all that sort of stuff it, it's all of that um, Tommy Cooper plays the other workman alongside Sykes and you can also see uh, some of the old British uh, comedians, some of whom are still with us and some aren't. Uh, Jimmy Edwards, uh, Roy Castle there, and, and Jimmy Tarbuck in quite a, I presume, quite an early role, bearing in mind this is over 50 years old. Um, so it'll be quite an early role for him as well. So, yeah, but, y- you know, uh, something from a bygone generation, you probably wouldn't want to watch a, a two-hour movie of this, but fortunately it's only about an hour, so um, y- you'll enjoy it. If you like that minutes. sort of thing. 45 minutes, according to uh, IMDb. Um, yeah, well, I imagine there's quite a bit of advert in this on yeah. Talking Pictures. It's an hour and five minutes on Talking Pictures. So they, by the time they've bunged it, a few adverts in, I suppose it could bring it up to that time. But, yeah, yeah. it's quite surprising, isn't it? It's an extra 20 minutes of whatever. But there you go. Mm. Um, and um, Jimmy Tarbuck is 80... One, if you were okay. Bit. So uh, back then he was what in his he was twenty twenties, yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, this film also has Hattie Jakes in it. You mentioned that they worked together okay. a lot, Eric Sykes and Hattie mm. Jakes. She's in there as well. She plays woman with Rose. Okay. Don't know that's if she's with somebody called Rose or, or whether that's a flower. I doubt it say. because there's nobody has a name in this. Um, Eric Sykes plays smaller workman and Tommy Cooper plays larger workman. Right. Um, so um, yeah, no, it's all. Yeah. Well, you say that. Apparently, two characters do have names. Oh, okay. Um, Roy Castle. Um, well, it says delivery man with boxes, but then in brackets, Wilfred Bavistock. So maybe his name's written somewhere, and you okay. see it on screen, perhaps. And then maybe. Graham Stark plays amorous van driver, and in brackets, Harry Nichols. But other than that, they're all. Graham Stark is one of those people that you used to see in films. Um, that, yeah, was never. A, Never a, a sort of a, you know, never was a big star or anything like that. But he, he just used to crop up in, in British films. Um, um, he played Blind Man in Superman 3. There you go. Yeah. Which was filmed here in the UK. And yeah. there were an awful lot of... Um, yeah. Uh, there, there was a whole sequence at the beginning of that, that movie, which was basically a silent movie sort of slapstick thing. Um, and, um, yeah, there was yeah somebody walking along with, with a ladder, then they turn around and they knock over a pot of paint. And then there's two guys walking along with a sheet of glass and, and all these things happen. And then it, it involves this great sort of... A dangerous catastrophe that Superman swoops in and saves, but this the opening bit of Superman mm. Three is is an homage to silent movies, which I guess is kind of what what this is um, absolutely as well. yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, that's uh, the plank. Eight fifteen p.m. Talking Pictures TV on Friday the nineteenth of March. Uh, late into the evening, 
11.20pm uh, on BBC Two. I've chosen a film I've not seen, but it's been on my list for quite a while now. It's, um, it's It was on Amazon Prime for quite some time, and, and I've always had it on my watch list, so it keeps reminding me it's there, but I've never got around to watching it, so I thought maybe I should watch it friday and it's um it's called map to the stars uh, with uh it's, it's by david cronenberg and it's about a disfigured woman who is hired as an assistant to a fading hollywood star who has become obsessed with her dead mother and is determined to recreate her most famous film role meanwhile a teen idol goes off the rails under the influence of his overbearing parents and the chauffeur harbors dreams of becoming a writer uh, David Cronenberg's drama starring Julianne Moore, Mia Wasikowska, John Cusack and Robert Pattinson. Mm, good cast. I, I'm not entirely sure what led me to putting it on my list to begin with, except that that sounds incredibly um, unlike anything that I'm aware of that David Cronenberg's ever done. Who, who seems to be something of a horror and, yeah. um, you know, some, his films seem to be quite disturbing. Yeah, um, grotesque. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, not all of them, but most of them. Um, mm. And and yeah, but but this one, yeah, it did seem to have a good a good cast. Um, it appeared to have a very good central role for Julianne Moore, uh, who I think's you know quite a remarkable actress. And um, and yeah, yeah, a good a good all round cast there. So I don't know anything more than that, but it looked good. So that's what I want to watch. That's Maps to the Stars um, from 2014, and that's 11:20 p.m. on BBC Two. So it's moved to Saturday, the 20th of March, uh, 1.15pm on BBC Two. And Simon goes all the way back to 1944 for Meet Me in St. Louis. Um, yeah, it's a it's very interesting you say St. Louis, because um, I never know quite how to pronounce that uh, name. But I think... I, when I, I said I, it, I, I doubted myself. Yeah, I think it's St. Louis. Okay. Um, I mean, you can always rely on Americans not to pronounce things properly, and of course, if, if oh, this of course, was it's French, the place, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. In, in Missouri, isn't it? So yeah. yeah, I think they do pronounce it St. Louis. That yes. the, the, the place. Uh, and Joe Louis as well. I think is. I, I don't. I don't think it's Joe Louis, is it? Anyway, um, this is a, a, a charming MGM musical in, in the sort of the heyday of MGM musicals. Uh, Mary Astor plays the mum of a perfect American family. Judy Garland plays one of the daughters. And it's got some great musical numbers, including Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Um, and it's directed by Vincente uh, Minelli, uh, who became uh, Mr. Judy Garland at one stage, and, uh, the, and the father of Liza. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's a charming musical from mid 20th century um that's it really that's uh, that's which sometimes you know I mean, it seems over the last few weeks we've been picking films not dissimilar to this and and you know there, there is nothing you can't beat sitting sitting down on an afternoon and watching an old movie in my opinion no no um and and there are an awful lot of them around but knowing the good ones that are worth watching i think is is part of the service that we offer so meet me in St. Louis, 1.15pm at BBC Two on Saturday the 20th of March. I've gone for a newer old movie with, with a largely very old cast um, from 1980, this movie, uh, but featuring stars that really, with one exception, were all from a bygone era. But my, the movie I've chosen is The Sea Wolves on 4pm uh, on ITV4. 
and the storyline is uh, a Ger- the German Navy used three Goa-based vessels to attack Allied shipping and their British counterparts cannot retaliate as they are moored in neutral waters. A group of retired officers living in India unofficially returns to active duty to deal with the threat. A fact-based Second World War adventure starring Gregory Peck, Roger Moore, David Niven, Trevor Howard, Barbara Kellerman and Patrick McNee. And I think, yeah, by and large, most of that cast were sort of at their peak a long time before 1980. Roger Moore was probably the only one who was sort of a contemporary star of that time. Mm. Um, And it's a good, it's a good traditional sort of British war movie. It albeit made a long time after most of those um, great British war movies were made. uh, and uh, it, but it did seem like it was um, trying to capitalise somewhat on the success of the Wild Geese from a few years before. Yeah, if you remember that, where they got together, you know, a bunch of sort of older um, uh, stars. You know, it was was it was um, Richard Harris, wasn't it? And Richard Burton and and Roger Moore. Um, and and that one was, I think, the setting was contemporary, um, but it was you know something about pulling together these sort of retired soldiers, and there was a, there were great sequences of training all these old former soldiers and mm. watching sort of old men running under netting and and jumping through puddles and all that stuff. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, the Sea Wolves I think was trying to capitalise on that somewhat. And I don't think it did as well, but it isn't a bad movie. It's it's a good it's a good war, um, you know, war film if that's such a thing. Um, and uh, yeah, it's on ITV4, uh, 4 p.m. on Saturday the 20th of March. Do, do you have a recollection of this movie? Is this something you might? I, 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 I recollect it being recommended in the past, but that that's not the same as actually watching it. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I remember it because. I thought it was quite interesting the fact that the the Second World War and, and, and basically the war in Europe extended from India right to South America um, uh, and across Africa. You know, th- this was not the war against the Japanese, which also affected India. This was the the Germans um, against the Allies, and it, and it was it involved India. So uh, I just thought that was interesting. But beyond that, yeah, no, I, I have no knowledge of it, really, apart from I think we've talked about it before. Yeah. Uh, I mean, of course, this idea of oldie, oldies coming back um, is it, just carried on, hasn't it? I mean, we've got Expendables and all those sorts of movies. Space yeah. Cowboys, we were talking about last week, you know, they all have that same element to them, don't they, that bring a bunch of old actors back together and you know isn't it funny how they have to sort of you know do things that their characters would have done when they were young type of thing yeah and then watch it watching them pass their best and being out of breath doing something that they could have done with ease which, yeah. is, which passes for entertainment which sometimes is kind of funny to see but mm. when you actually think about it it's quite tragic and sad <clears throat> um mm. but but yeah there yeah lots and lots of films have, 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 have followed a similar theme haven't they in but they're normally to- successful though that, that's in in real life it it probably ended up with a horrible failure, but it, yeah. of course in in fiction it's always successful when they bring these oldies back. Well, apparently this is based on it says it's a fact based World yeah. War Two. Yeah, yeah, fair adventures. enough. So yeah, I mean, as to how close to the actual truth it really is, who one would suspect it's not that. Mm. But but I would imagine there must have been a similar mission that was mounted by former soldiers who wanted to do their bit for the war effort. 
you know, it, it sounds like the kind of thing that probably did happen. Um, but uh, are, you, are you looking that up now? Or? I am, yes. See, operation see. Creek, a military operation undertaken by the uh, Special Operations Executive in World War II in March 1943. It involved a covert attack by members of the Calcutta Light Horse and the Calcutta Scottish against the Nazi German merchant ship. Was the, it called Creek? Because that was the noise that their hips made as they moved be, slightly, yeah. silently toward the Germans. Yeah. Um, yeah. It had uh, been trans- a merchant ship was transmitting information to U-boats in uh, neutral Portugal's territory of Goa. I, I was interested in this sort of from a from a different angle as well because um, being being quite a fan of the Bond films and of Roger Moore's work, that that he was making Bond films at this time. This was the height of his sort of time as Bond, and in those they they made every effort they could to try to make him look younger than he really was. Whereas in this, he was criticised for perhaps being too young compared to the other people. You know, Trevor Howard and David Niven and Gregory Peck were were considerably older than than he was. Um, however, he was in his 50s, so it would have made sense that he could have well have been a, a retired um, mm. officer as well. Um, but, but yeah, and I did I did see that there's um, that there's there's an image of him that they've used to advertise the movie, and he's in a tux. And, and you sort of wonder if the producers thought we need to put that in somewhere because that'll that'll get the uh, you know that'll get the takings up at the box office, you know, make him look a bit Bond-esque at one point. Mm. But anyway, that's the Sea Wolves, uh, Saturday the twentieth of March, four pm on ITV4. We move to Sunday the twenty-first of March, and um, Simon's Choice is one of my favourite courtroom thrillers, and I love a courtroom thriller. Um, but you've chosen 11.30pm on BBC One and it's the second week running that you've chosen a John Grisham adaptation, mm. no less. You've chosen A Time to Kill. Yeah, apparently this was his first novel um, and it was uh, adapted for the screen in 1996. Starred Matthew McConaughey playing an inexperienced Southern lawyer, <laughs> which is the same character who appears in most of Grisham's novels. Uh, and in this, he defends a working-class black father who publicly murdered the man who abducted and raped his 10-year-old daughter. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson plays the father. Um, Sandra Bullock is the enthusiastic law student who offers to help Matthew McConaughey's character. And in the redneck corner are politically ambitious district attorney Kevin Spacey and uh, most of the small town of Clanton, Mississippi, where the Ku Klux Klan exerts a sinister influence. And uh, both Sutherlands are in it as well, uh, Donald and Kiefer. And, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, the character... Um, Drake- oh, Oliver Platt, too, sorry, is, is there. Uh, and Chris Cooper. Beg your pardon. Okay. Oh, I mentioned Oliver Platt because I, I, I like him. I think he's one of my... He's a, good, a really good character actor, isn't he? Yeah, um, yeah. very good. Um, yeah, the John Grisham's novels. Um, yeah, this was his very first one, and he's written um, uh, th- three novels now that have featured the character Jake Briggins that um, uh, Matthew McConaughey plays, um, and and also one or two of the other supporting characters have appeared in other novels as well. But he did um, release last year a sequel to this book, which is called A Time for Mercy. Um, so, following it up from his, the, the film came, the book came out in 1989, and then the film in 1996, and then, yeah, 2020, he wrote a, a sequel to the book. 
but he had featured the characters in other mm-hmm. in other works of his as well. Most of his books as well are set in this small town of Clanton, which I believe is a fictional town, um, but it's very loosely based on the actual town where John Grisham grew up. Um, but many of his are set in the and it's area of, uh, called Ford County, which I think is fictional. But but it's quite clear which area it's supposed to be because it is okay. where he he spent his younger years. Um, anyway, um, yeah, Time to Kill, a yeah, wonderful film. Um, and Matthew McConaughey, it it really you know it it really was the first sort of time I think that that he was certainly a lead in a movie and and it just showcased a lot of his his talent and his charm as an actor. And not even the first, it's not even the last time he played a lawyer because what, one of my other favourite films of his was The Lincoln Lawyer. Yeah. Where he played a different a different character, but also based on a, on a novel. Um, so, yeah, he has a thing about literary lawyers, it would seem. But that's A Time to Kill, 11.30pm, BBC One, on Sunday the 21st of March. My Choice Sunday Night, 11.05pm on ITV4. Very different film completely. Uh, also based on... Um, uh, a, a, a literary character of sorts it's Conan the Barbarian alright um, <laughs> yeah uh, based on the stories um, by author Robert E. Howard and uh, probably the first real film I guess to star Arnold Schwarzenegger um, this was before he was the Terminator um, and uh, yeah uh, the storyline is uh, it's about a child who grows up in slavery and becomes a formidable warrior and a cunning thief taken prisoner by a victorious king he is sent out to destroy the leader of the barbaric cult that destroyed his village and slaughtered his family starring um, Arnold Schwarzenegger Max von Sydow James L. James and Sandal Bergman and and it spawned a sequel that was Conan the Destroyer which came out a couple of years later uh, but but I think interesting just to see Arnie in a starring in his first sort of or at least a very early starring role for him um, and to see how he's developed and progressed as a as an actor. I mean, the, the, the last thing I saw him in, I thought he was wonderful. I thought a really good performance in the film Maggie and the way mm-hmm. he was with, with his daughter and mm-hmm. her becoming a zombie or whatever the, 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 the storyline was. But, you know, very different from, from these days, you know, from the days of, of the movie Conan the Barbarian, where he was just basically there because he was built like a like a brick outhouse as they say mm. um, but yeah I mean he's I think he's a you know I, he's, a, he's got limitations but most actors have some limitations and um, but you know he, he's got a, he's, he's got a good sense of, of humour um, his acting range is no less than John Wayne or um, yeah you know, even put someone like Sean Connery or you know the, these people they were great film stars they weren't necessarily great actors and no. this is no worse than any of them no um, sort of sounds like damning him with faint praise doesn't it but um, but yeah uh, I'm just looking down his, his credits now um, it, it wasn't his first movie but it was certainly his first starring role Conan the Barbarian and then two years later was uh, Conan the Destroyer and a film that we're mentioning a bit later. But we will say no more for now for ruining the surprise of when you mm. terminate a bit later. Mm. Uh, okay, anyway, um, we move on to Monday, the 22nd of March. And uh, Simon's next choice uh, is the uh, 2017 version of Murder on the Orient Express, film for 9pm. Yep. Um, Kenneth Branagh directs and stars as Hercule Poirot. 
and a great load of stars as the passengers on the train Michelle Pfeiffer, Julie Dench, Penelope Cruz, Derek Jacobi, Olivia Coleman, Josh Gad, Daisy Ridley. And they all fall under suspicion when the train gets stuck in the snow and one of their number meets a grisly death. Um, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Poirot, uh, but th- th- this, this does look good. Um, and I think there have been other Christie's come to the screen since this one, haven't there? with Kenneth Branagh at the helm? Uh, he has one, and it keeps being put back because of the pandemic. Death okay. on the Nile, he has completed. Okay. Um, but but it, it has not. It is yet to be released. I'm just looking okay. it up now. Um, it's expected now September this year. Okay. Whereas it was going to be out in September last year. Right. And then December, and they kept pushing it yeah. back. Yeah. So it, it's not my favourite, Christy. Um, I, mean, I have to say, I think the ones they've had on... Uh, Christmas time. I don't know if they did the one this year, but certainly a couple of previous ones they did. Um, they, I thought they were particularly good. Oh, these, yeah, these were not Poirot, but they were other Agatha Christie adaptations. Yeah, other Agatha Christies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, she. They were dark. They were quite dark. Um, yeah. Whereas this is this is very glossy. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, th- th- this this film, I think, yeah, you know, a wonderful all-star cast, which is kind of what they did with the, the, the last cinematic version of Murder on the Orient Express in the 70s with Albert Finney mm. um, as Poirot, and that had an all-star cast as well. Um, and, and, and this this was uh, sort of re- repeating that. But, but th- this, I thought, Kenneth Branagh's job as a director, I thought that the look of the film was just sumptuous. The... The exotic sort of locations, particularly at the beginning of the movie, you know, but before they get onto the Orient Express, and um, the, the uh, there's a scene. Is it the is it the Wailing Wall? And there's a there's a big dramatic scene at the beginning of the movie. I think is in Israel. Is it is it called the Wailing Wall? Yeah, Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, there's a scene there, and um, and and you know the the the, the look of of. Um, you know that you know, the way he recreated the, the, the thing to make it feel like that was from the 1930s, which I think is when this is set. I'm yeah, guessing I, the 30s. Um, they, they, yeah, I think it's probably then. Yeah, um, but it, you know, it, it, it looked great. Um, uh, although I almost expected to see Indiana Jones come running around a corner because, of course, um, some of his tales were set in the 1930s in in, in similar places and. and you know, it, it, it had that same look to it, but but then all the all the sequences on the train and and the the the, the way it uh, you know the, the way it was done, it, it really felt quite um, uh, you know quite, quite luxurious and and also claustrophobic because they're all stuck on a train that's mm. in a that, that's been snowed in and they're being dug out and they're trying to work out who who did it. Um, but yeah. Um, wonderful wonderful cast and then yeah his his new one that comes out which is death on the nile um it's it's another um great cast uh, army hammer uh, gal gadot uh trying to look at down other names jennifer saunders is in that one dawn french is in that one and um i know that i mentioned this name before and it put you right off it but russell brand is in it as well right yeah well actually russell russell brand jennifer saunders and dawn french you put all those together. I wouldn't watch it if it was being screened in my back garden. 
<laughs> wow. I didn't think you I didn't realise you weren't a fan of French and Saunders uh, in small doses but yeah um, um, Jennifer Saunders was in a Netflix series last year called yeah. The Stranger I thought she was very good in that yeah and I think it's the only time I've ever seen her do anything that wasn't comedic um, I've seen her lots of doing lots of things that weren't comedic <laughs> Several episodes of French and Saunders come to mind. (laughs) You're very mean sometimes. Uh, Emma Mackey is also in it, who is the star of the Netflix series Sex Education. Uh, She's in in this movie, as is Annette Bening as well, just looking down the the list of other people. Um, So, uh, yeah, that's uh, Death on the Nile, which is out later this year. But on TV um, this this week, in fact, on uh, Monday... Uh, the 22nd of March it's Murder on the Orient Express 9pm on Film 4 lavish retelling as it's said in your notes Mm. my choice for Monday the 22nd uh, on 3.40pm in the afternoon on Talking Pictures TV from 1948 it is the film Call Northside 777 a journalist investigates a woman's bid to prove her imprisoned son is innocent of the murder of a policeman 11 years earlier as he gathers material for his piece, he discovers vital evidence in the case is missing and uh, leading him to champion her cause and secure her son's release. Henry Hathaway's fact-based crime drama starring James Stewart, Helen Walker, Lee Jacob and Richard Conte. And um, the, the filmmakers uh, went to great um, lengths to, uh, to try to um, sort of make out that the film was, was as as accurate as they could possibly make it you know that, that, that they were they were almost presenting this as a dramatized documentary of of the events from just a couple of years before um whether whether that was just a load of fake claims or, or whether that was actually the case i guess i guess no one really knows for sure but um but yeah certainly it's um uh yeah it, it, it's it's a great it's a great film showing how uh, you've got um James Stewart as this uh, uh, intrepid journalist except that he starts out and he, he doesn't really want to do the story and, and, and what happens is that the, the guy who's been in prison for 11 years for, for killing a cop um, and you see the murder at the beginning but they shoot it in such a way that you can't clearly identify who did it so you don't actually know as the audience whether it was that guy or not but 11 years later there's a little advert that appears in James Stewart's newspaper that says um, uh, you know that they're offering $5,000 for information about the the real for the identity of the real murderer of that case 11 years ago and it said call Northside 777 and uh, and so James Stewart's editor gets him to look into this as a story and um, and yeah and, and he starts out he, he he feels he doesn't want to do it that it's very um, um, it, you know it'll be very hurtful to the family of the cop that was murdered uh, and and slowly throughout the course of the movie he starts to wonder if it is all as it seems and and it's no secret to, to reveal that he eventually comes round to believing in the guy's innocence uh, but it's uh, it's quite. Yeah, it's quite compellingly told and it has a real amount of pace for a movie of that era where they used to feel a little bit slower I think um, but, but, but it, was, um, it was great and there's, a, there's an interesting scene where the, the, um, the accused it, it says he'll agree to a lie detector test 
even though they're not admissible he was prepared to undertake one um and he he did it and the guy administering the lie detector test in the movie was the real guy who invented the lie detector test and he played himself Mm. um and uh and yeah it was uh sort of like an interesting little little aside there if, if, if you were to watch that movie but uh, but yeah, a great great um, sort of film noir drama um, with with you know wonderful performance from James Stewart in the in the central role as this this um, plucky uh, journalist. But that's uh, Call Northside Seven Seven Seven, Monday the twenty second of March three forty pm on uh, Talking Pictures TV. And uh, again, is this something I don't know if you if you heard of this film? Have you come across this? Before? No, no, I don't know it. Uh, um, if you like that sort of old, you know, very old sort of film noir mm. type thing, then it's it's worth looking out for. Um, and yeah, lots lots of things at the beginning and at the end of the movie where where it's sort of saying about that that you know these are true events and where possible they've tried to film all the scenes in the original locations where where these things happened. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very I, I thought it was a you know, very interesting, compelling movie. Um, Anyway, that's, uh, yeah, as I say, that's uh, Monday, the 22nd of March, 3.40pm on Talking Pictures TV. So let's move to Tuesday, the 23rd of March, and Simon has chosen um, in, in, into the wee small hours of Wednesday morning, in fact, 1.30am over on Film 4, we have The Look of Love. Yep, it's the uh, story of Paul Raymond, as told by director Michael Winterbottom, who h- has worked with... Um, Steve Coogan on a number of occasions and Steve Coogan here plays uh, Paul Raymond, Anna Friel plays his first wife uh, Tamsin Edgerton plays Fiona Richmond his long term lover and Imogen Poots his daughter it, it, it tells about how he from the early 60s, uh, sorry the early 50s sorry, the late 50s he started to um, push um, the, the envelope as they say uh, in Soho with ever more uh, overt uh, sexual displays in in his uh, review bars and it it goes through to his retirement from the public eye in the early 1990s he became a something of a recluse until he died in his 80s um, living alone in a flat in uh, Soho he was an incredibly wealthy man when he died and his grandchildren, granddaughters inherited um, uh, 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 I think I think it was over half a billion uh, fortune when he died but it's one of those s- stories of, of uh, the, the true cost of success, he was he was lonely and uh, lots of bad stuff, sad stuff happened to him. Ridiculously late at night to be on. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I know you can record stuff, of, but you know, yeah. it's crazy, really. Well, it's it's not as crazy as putting on a children's movie at that sort of time of night. Well, that's true. That is true. Yeah. I mean, a film of that nature probably should be on quite late at night. Yeah, for, for but, those who would you be. know, but one thirty in the morning. I mean. That's Sharknado time. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, um, yeah. I saw last week um, another collaboration between Michael Winterbottom and uh, Steve Coogan. I saw the film Greed, which came out last year. The one that's 
not at all in any way based on Sir Philip Green. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And and uh, it was interesting looking down the cast list of uh, the Look of Love. There's a lot of the same people mm. um, in, in that as well. Um, Shirley Henderson uh, and Stephen Fry were two names that jumped out that were mm-hmm. in um, in Greed. But uh, but yeah, the, the, the other work that they've done together that people might well have experienced was the the TV series the the Trip, which is another yeah, collaboration, yeah. isn't yeah. it, between it's Michael one of my favourite and, things. Yeah. Have, have you seen... Did you watch a TV series or was it a movie? Because I'm actually curious to know if there's any real difference between them because I gather it's basically the, the movie versions were just edited together episodes, but I didn't know if they perhaps cut things out to make it more streamlined for a movie and whether it, you're better to watch it as a TV series or as the, oh, the movies. I, I, I don't know. I think I saw the TV version. Um, yeah, so I couldn't tell you the difference between them. There's been four of them now, isn't there? And I think all of them have been released as movies, but they were all originally... Yeah, there was the Lake District, uh, there was France and Italy. What was the other one then? I think Uh, Spain as well. Spain, was it? And I think they've announced that they've finished them. Or or if there's another one looming, I think that's the last one. Yeah, I mean, there's only so many times you can hear them sort of battling with their Mick Jagger impersonations and... You know, the light. I mean, it's, I think it's terribly funny, but I think you know, it's what I think it's clever because it's 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 somewhere it lies somewhere on the border between uh, fact and fiction. You know, they're playing versions of themselves. Yeah, yeah, um, but but yes, you know that one of one of the things as well is I think that the the. the, the the cinematography is beautiful. The way that that, that that Michael Winterbottom has shot that series, yeah, and 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 uh, it's something that I think is is in a lot of his work. I think he's quite a visionary director, and uh, and I imagine that the look of love probably has quite a good look to it as well. Not Actually, they didn't it, do um, France. It was Greece was the final one. Ah, okay. It was yeah, Lake District, Italy, Spain, Greece. Right. I think I've seen them all. I remember if I saw the, the first Greek couple one, were on the BBC, and then and then Sky went and bought it, and then yeah. I think the, the final ones were on Sky. But uh, yeah, I saw the first one. I saw the Lake District one. And I thought it was wonderful, mm. but I never got around to watching the others. Not yet, anyway. I mean, it's it is sort of more of the same, to be fair. But you know, but funny nonetheless. Yeah. I do remember the thing wasn't part of the joke like it certainly in the first one was that people kept wanting him to do like an Alan Partridge impression and he wouldn't do it and then wasn't it like one of the last scenes he, he goes right up on top of a hill in the Lake District shoves his arms out and just goes aha as loud as he possibly could oh right I don't remember that he might have been asleep at that point if it was yeah, on well, late in the evening well possibly yes yeah Anyway, okay, The Look of Love is Simon's Choice for uh, Tuesday. Uh, so it's on technically into Wednesday morning, 1.30am on Film 4. Um, it, it, it sometimes occurs to me, I wonder if people think I'm splitting airs when I'm saying technically it's Wednesday. I, I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to make sure people don't try and watch it a day earlier and then find it's not there. I want to make it clear when it is. So, we, you know, film listings and, and listings magazines and us, we would all count that as a Tuesday film that's technically on on Wednesday but because it's part of Tuesday night it's just very late Tuesday night I hope that's cleared that up it has it has it certainly has with me you know whether the listener is clear who knows well well, as long as you didn't feel I was picking hairs by saying just Wednesday it's it's not I would consider that a Tuesday film but I want to make sure people knew when it was yeah 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 
Now, I've gone earlier in the evening, um, a, a classic movie, apparently. Um, uh, anyway, it, uh, 6.35pm on Sony Movies Classic on Tuesday the 23rd of March. I've gone for the 1967 version of The Taming of the Shrew. Uh, for the Shakespeare um, uh, play and the story is a young woman's father forbids her to marry until her older sister is wed first a tall order given the elder the elder sibling's fiery temper and sharp tongue when a fortune hunting rogue arrives in town three men keen to marry the younger sister persuade him to woo the older Franco Zeffrelli's adaptation of William Shakespeare's comedy starring Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton and I think I think it's a good film, and I think it's it's got uh, a lot of um, what what would be celebrated of Franco Zeffrelli's work on screen. You know, it, it, it's a very lavish adaptation, and you know you've got these two um, leading stars who were who were box office dynamite at the time. You know, Burton and Taylor. But I would have said of of all of their um, collaborations, this is probably the weakest. Um, it. it, it you know, it, it sort of it fell. I think it, it it kind of fell short a little bit. They also played very fast and loose with the Shakespeare adaptation and um, and and chopped and changed lots of it. And I don't know if that happens often with Shakespeare adaptations, but but one gets the feeling that others like Branagh or um, other people sort of making these adaptations would be pretty faithful to to the original, even if they change the setting, they might still keep the structure more so. Mm. But. But yeah, um, and Franco Zeffrelli, didn't he do, was it Romeo and Juliet that he, he did a very famous version of? I think he of? did, yes. Because now after having talked about him as being being this um, uh, incredible um, uh, director, I couldn't think of another film he's ever done. But yes, I just looked it up. Um, well, of course, Romeo he, and I think he did that famous Jesus of Nazareth with Robert Powell. Okay. Yes, it, yes. That was Zeffrelli, that, I think. Uh I think you're feigned. And looking down the list here. Oh yes it was. It was just below the the, 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 the fold of my screen. But yes, he, he did he did um, Romeo and Juliet and uh the the Taming of the Shrew, which was actually his first no, it was his second major film. It was his second um uh, full movie. Romeo and Juliet, which he got a lot more acclaim for was the following year. Um he also did The Champ. Do you remember that film with um um, John Voigt and Faye Dunaway about the boxer uh, obviously not no I don't I, I think it was quite quite the big tearjerker um, oh you'd, from what I remember of it you'd be blubbing all the way through um, I don't think I know that yeah um, yeah 1979 it came out um, and uh, yeah and he, he's got a he's fighting for his young child uh, and uh, Faye Dunaway's the mother and his ex-partner who's trying to take the child away from him and he's this washed up boxer you know, it's called The Champ mm. no okay um, he also did uh, more more recently he did um, Hamlet the version that Mel Gibson did in 1990 that was uh, Zafrelli as well alright but uh, but anyway um, yeah The Taming of the Shrew um, was uh, also I mean it's I think it's fair to say as well in this day and age in particular I think the plot is very morally ambiguous and, and this whole notion of a, a free-spirited independent woman who, who had a mind of her own needed to be tamed needed to be you know sorted out because otherwise no one would ever want to marry her I, 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 you know Shakespeare wouldn't have gotten away with that today I don't think I think not no um, no but, I think she was he was um, possibly uh, uh, 
you know, of his age. Mm. Yeah. Also, early performance uh, from Michael York in this film as well, uh, who played one of the young suitors to the younger sister. Uh, but the um, the the one who who sort of stole the show, if, from what I remember of watching it, was uh, the actor Victor Spinetti. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Who was in? Um, I think he was in a couple of the Beatles movies. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and he he, he played a, a character that was the um, he was he was basically like like the um, Hortensio, who was like the assistant to Richard Burton's character, and um, and he just just stole every scene. And um, uh, Richard Burton had been very critical of this in interviews afterwards and said how, you know, like like there was a scene where he was just supposed to be in the background, but suddenly he just popped his head in somewhere and, and you know, he just kept um, upstaging everyone all the way through the movie. All right. But, but it made for quite an entertaining mm. um, scene. Um, but anyway, that's uh, The Taming of the Shrew. He's the sort of character that, or a sort of actor that I could have imagined would have been in The Plank. Okay. Well, it's just a, you know he is of that era, the sort of yeah. sort of actor that, I mean, he's been he died a number of years ago now, but um, he, uh, um, yeah, he was in a lot of stuff um, in, in that sort of time. Yeah. yeah, and obviously with the name Victor Spinetti, you just knew that he was Welsh. Oh, I know it's extraordinary, isn't it? And he was very Welsh. Well, very Welsh. Yeah. You know, he was sort of <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, uh, but yeah, his his parents were Italian, but yeah, he was he was uh, a Welshman by all. Yeah. Anyway, grandfather apparently, he always said walked from Italy to Wales to work as a coal miner, just so he could buy enough money to to just just so he could earn enough money to buy a plough. <laughs> okay, um, it's uh, it, another thing popped up here. Apparently, he played Texas Pete. On the TV series Super Ted, which was which is which has just been in the news, is coming back apparently. Okay, the uh, animated series from the early eighties. Um, but uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, uh, the Tame of the Shrew, six thirty-five p.m. Sony Movies Classic on Tuesday, the twenty-third of March. Wednesday, the twenty-fourth of March, nine p.m. on Five Star, The Terminator. Mm. Um, this tends to get forgotten. Um, because the this, the sequel Terminator 2 Judgment Day was um, was so good um, or you know I say so good but was I think it sort of out, outshone the, the previous one the original one but th- I mean, this is a very good science fiction uh, almost a, a horror film I suppose uh, in the second one the, the whole point of uh, of what happens in the second one with his, his relationship with um, Sarah Connor uh, is that she uh, is fr- frightened to bits when she she comes across him because she doesn't know that he's been reprogrammed to be uh, a help for her rather than uh, a killer. But in the original, he is uh, he is a killer, and he's come back to uh, prevent. Her having a son who is going to be the the savior of the world, and uh, yeah, so here's this violent cyborg who just kills everything in his in, in front of him. Um, I mean, it, it's pretty old now. I mean, it's he's getting on for forty years old, but technically it's still pretty good, um, and. You know, it is very much of its time. I mean, there's there's a bit where they're in this nightclub and 
sort of dancing around you suddenly realize yeah this is the 80s you know linda hamilton has this sort of very 80s sort of hair and um all that sort of stuff and yeah it, you know it is it's getting on a bit now but still if you like science fiction and and uh, time travel stuff it, it's it's a great film yeah yeah i mean I think it's fair to well in my opinion i'm quite happy to state this that, that i think terminator 2 was 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 in many many ways better than this film i think i think is a completely it's almost unfair to compare the two because this was a very low budget film and, and given that they achieved a lot with this movie it's a very good sci-fi movie but but I, I think it's you know often terminator 2 is used as the example of the sequel that was better than the original um and, and you know and, and also it's often talked about as, as worthy sequels because and and alongside aliens which is also james cameron mm-hmm. you know, showing that he he knew how to turn his hand to a sequel mm-hmm. um but uh although not though it wasn't his first um, his first sequel was piranha part two the spawning from okay. 1981 which mm-hmm. i'd read somewhere that he tried to get his name taken off of it as a director when he became famous mm-hmm. but oh no they weren't doing that because i think it then got re-released as like james cameron's piranha 2 um but but yeah, the, yeah, the Terminator. I remember as a as a I was eight or nine when this film came out, and I saw the trailer for this whilst going to see another film when I was that age, and I had a, I had nightmares about it. Arnold Schwarzenegger was terrifying mm. uh, to to a, to to an eight year old boy. Is you know this 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 robotic cold killing machine that just that nothing could kill him. You know he was indestructible and 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 evil and it was just terrifying um you know and, and there is why a real are you sense. watching it aged eight you used to get trailers for older movies sometimes in in films but they would the trailer would be toned down somewhere okay. but it would be yeah so i was i, I don't know what film mm. i was uh, watching but lassie but it come home been. or something and then yeah. suddenly the terminator comes on it was something like that, mm. yeah. <coughs> okay. Because there's a little warning at the beginning saying um, all of these trailers are suitable for the audience or something like that. There was, mm. uh, and you used to sometimes get two credits, or two certifications on the screen. It would say like a, a U trailer for an 18 film or, mm. or something like that. And and yeah, you, you would often, I don't know if, if this comes back to you at all, but, but this is something that was often yeah, said yeah, back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, these days, I don't. I just don't think they do it. I, I, well, what it'd would be, be very difficult of, to 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 do a, a sort of a a trailer to to do it justice, um, Terminator, without so what, without what, it being what would violent. Be the point? What would be the point to an audience for a children's or a family? Well, exactly, movie? because those yeah, people why, couldn't see it. So why bother unless they were, it? Uh, I, I suspect at the time it was just because they just got sent in a load of trailers yeah. that, that got put onto a film. And they mm. they couldn't chop and change them so easily. Yeah. And also maybe they thought, well, there's probably going to be parents having to watch this children's movie, and so we can show them that they got something they they've got mm. to look forward to. Mm. But uh, anyway, um, the Terminator, the original classic from 1984, uh, is uh, Simon's Choice, 9 p.m. on Five Star Wednesday, the 24th of uh, March, uh, 9 p.m. over on the Paramount uh, Network. We have. Um, from 2015 the film creed which i know that you've chosen in the past um but uh i'm not sure if it's been on tv recently or not and i'm I'm not sure we've picked it on the film guide recently so i thought i'd throw it back in there um and this is the the sort of spin-off from the rocky movies i suppose you you could Mm -hmm. potentially say or call it rocky seven if you want but but i think 
I think to consider it more as a spin-off from the, those is probably a fairer way of looking at it. Um, and the, the storyline is it's about the son of a heavyweight boxer who died in the ring, uh, which was actually the events from Rocky IV, if you're interested. Um, he seeks the son fo- seeks to follow in the footsteps of the father he never knew. He goes in search of his father's old rival turned best friend, Rocky Balboa, who agrees to train the young fighter for a shot at the title. But the ageing champ is facing challenges of his own. Boxing drama with starring Michael B. Jordan and Sylvester Stallone, reprising his role from the Rocky movies. And this was, I think, one of the things why this really worked well is the uh, the directing of this movie. Um, it was directed by Ryan Coogler. And I believe that originally, the, the original screenplay didn't involve the character Rocky. And it was there was no references to Rocky in it. And they adapted it when they got Sylvester Stallone interested in it. Um, I'd heard different things about that account. I'd, I'd heard that the, the, the director, who I believe also wrote the, um, uh, he, he also uh, wrote Creed. I believe he, he had in his, um, uh, he, he had it in mind that he hoped it would be a Rocky film, but he wrote it without it being a Rocky film because he didn't know if, if they would be able to or not. Uh, but but he had done. Um, I'm just trying to look now. For there's a f- quite a famous film he did, or quite critically acclaimed film he did before this, at Fruitville Station. And it would seem that that off the back of that, Stallone wanted to work with him, um, and that was a film which also had Michael B. Jordan in it as well, and it got nominated for lots of different awards. Um, but yeah, uh, Creed. Uh, did incredibly well um, you know reinvented or reinvigorated a, 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 a long sort of dead franchise and um, it uh, it even won I think it even got an Oscar nomination for Sylvester Stallone yes he got Best Supporting Actor Oscar nomination for it and he won a Golden Globe um, for Best Supporting Actor for his portrayal of Rocky mm-hmm. um, yes yeah, a good film mm. yeah I've always found the story of Rocky and the story of Stallone an interesting one because, you know, Stallone was this hot young filmmaker in the 70s and was considered to be, you know, this sort of, you know, the, 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 this great new talent. He was going to be the De Niro of his time or, you know, he, he, he was this, 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 you know, guy who came along and he wrote and he produced and he starred in Rocky. He got nominated for Best Actor for Rocky. It won Best Picture. It, you know, did so well. And then all the subsequent sequels that came along, you know, did, did marvellously well at the box office but diminished his reputation as a filmmaker. And he became something of a joke and, and a lot of his films were very mindless action films. And... Um, I think it's it's interesting how he finally got recognition for the longevity of this character that he's lived with on and off for for 40 years but by getting an oscar nomination for him you know at, um, in 2015 and winning a golden globe for that part you know given how many times he's been spoofed and sent up for for for, for rocky you know it, it, i thought it, yeah. it must have really felt quite an achievement i think you know what you lot i just want another award for this so thank yeah. you very much yes i mean he's well, he, he, I suppose it's the way he speaks and all those sorts of things, you know. Um, it uh, he, he can come across as, as, you know, been punched in the head too many times. I suppose it's partly because you associate his character with uh, with the Rock about Rocky Balboa character, don't you? 
but um, yeah and, and and rocky balboa is not considered to be somebody with that, that's ever going to be your first choice for a for a, a team for a pub quiz um and 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 his other characters as well he, he's never really played people who 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 seem to be particularly smart mm. um uh, which apparently um, very much belies him as a person. Apparently, his IQ is nearly 160. Yeah, St- Stallone's apparently, mm. you know, uh, like got a phenomenal brain. Um, mm. But, but yeah, someone well, that's. Um, I think the public are often deceived by the um, by the parts that people play, and um, you know, I suppose that casting people can get deceived by that too there was um i remember years ago he did a film with sharon stone i think it was called the specialist and there was some headline at the time that he was asked about in an interview which basically said something about like putting together two of you know two of like the dumbest stars in hollywood you know sharon stone who 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 was perceived to be some kind of bimbo and and sylvester stallone who was this sort of muscle-bound action hero and nothing more and he said that that it turns out he, he said that he and Sharon Stone found this funny because they both have the exact same IQ, and their IQs are both higher than um, Einstein's. Mm. And uh, and and he said that you know it, you know if, if people wish to say that about them, they found that quite funny. Mm. Um, mm. You know, and, and again, I guess it's perception, isn't it? You know, at the time Sharon Stone was being cast in parts that were to do with her looks. And, and and often was doing other parts mm. before mm. she became that famous, where it was just because of how she looked. Um, he, he, there are other situations as well. I think um, uh, you know Rupert Graves, a British yeah, actor. So. Yeah, he he comes from quite a working class background, and um, oh yes, I know you mean. But he says he gets a lot of um, posh roles because his name's Rupert. Just simply on the basis of the fact that he's called his 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 given name is Rupert, people assume that he must be posh, and so he gets posh roles. The the British actor who was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer and was in the Nescafe commercials in the eighties. Yes, Anthony Head. He's yeah, he's another one. Uh, he's credited with three names. I think he's Anthony Michael Head, and he's often cast as incredibly posh upper class English people mm. his real speaking voice is very Cockney very East End mm. and uh, he's known as Tony Head but mm. they realised that you know, particularly making a, making a name for himself in Hollywood that, that he would do far better if he was perceived to be posh yeah and so they sort of three named him and, and yeah he, he kept getting well I think it's an initial posh. isn't it um, um, I, I think he, he has a, normally has an initial in between but I can't think what it is off the top of my head um, yes, I mean his middle name is Stuart, but um, oh okay, I don't. Yeah, I can't remember now what he's what he goes but what initially goes by. But anyway, there we go. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, but yeah, Anthony Head is the, the, the mm. you're right, but the, the actor. But you're right. Yes, he's, he, 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 in real life he's Tony. Yeah, actually, he's, um, he's, I didn't realise this. He's the brother of Murray Head. Is that the guy who did the song One Night in Bangkok? Uh, or have I made that up? Who's I Murray don't Head? know. I mean, it, w- when it comes to music, I would obviously bow to your um, greater knowledge. But, um, uh, but one, one Night in Bangkok was from the musical Chess, and that was a hit in the mid-80s. Yes, he did. And he's a musical actor, isn't he, Murray yeah. Head? Yeah. Um, 
Say It Ain't So Joe it was another one of his okay do you not know that one no no um, on Buffy the Vampire Slayer he was credited as Anthony Stewart Head was I he? knew it was three names okay yeah. okay I thought it was an initial and in, but in some of his other roles back then it was um, in some of them he was cre- credited as Anthony mm. Stewart Head and in some it was just Anthony Head okay um, but there you go um Okay, anyway, uh, Creed, mm. uh, 9 p.m. Paramount Network on uh, Wednesday, 24th of March. Let's move to Thursday, and uh, Simon has chosen BBC4, uh, 9 p.m., The Lone Ranger. Yep, um, Lone Ranger is played by um, Army Hammer, and Tonto is Johnny Depp, and uh, Tom Wilkinson is there as well as a, as a baddie, a corrupt railway magnate, and it's... It, 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 it's not tongue-in-cheek. It's a good sort of adventure story played straight and good fun, if you if you remember the original. Um, directed by Gore Verbinski. Uh, and, yeah, and it's even got the William Tell Overture in it as well, which okay. is great. Um, so you've seen this film, have you? No. Okay, uh, uh, then you can't answer my next question because it was it was panned by the critics when it came out, um, and was con- I believe I think it's one of those that have become flop, sort of. I wondered. I think it's become um, sort of. It's become good um, through time. Uh, I mean, it's not that it's I mean, that old, is, but you know. No. But those those sorts of things, you know, being panned by the critics and not doing that well at the box office, do not indicate a good or a bad film. You know, the, 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 there's plenty of films that over time have that those facts have been long since forgotten and they're just remembered as a good movie. Mm. Um, I hadn't seen it myself. I somewhat put off by the the atrocious reviews of the movie, and and I believe Johnny Depp, the casting of Johnny Depp, was widely criticised for you know a, a white actor playing a Native American role. Mm. Um, but um, but yeah, um, Gore Verbinski was the director, I believe, of some of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. So it worked previously with Johnny Depp. Uh, I wouldn't know. I'd have to bow to your greater knowledge on that. He has directed at least one of them. Um, looking at this list, I don't here. remember seeing any of them. In fact, he's directed at least three of them. Okay, um, good for him. Yeah. I saw one on TV, a sort of bit of one on TV once, and it was quite good. The, I think it was the first one. And I saw one of them in the cinema and was rather bored. Um, Actually, I think I saw one for... We, I think we rented it for a children's party and I uh, borrowed a projector and and, sh- and uh, showed it on the wall. I think... Oh, right. Was, was the African Queen unavailable? I think it must have been, yes. Um, it was... Yeah, when, when did the first one come out? First uh, Pirates. I would say it's early 2000s. Um, 2003. Yeah. Actually, by which stage our children would have been quite old, so maybe um, maybe this is a false memory. <laughs> maybe it's for someone else's children. Maybe it's for some other event. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the I believe the first one was The Curse of the Black Pearl. Okay. And uh, yeah, from 2003. Um, okay. Anyway, uh, that's um, yeah, that's the Lone Ranger, 9 p.m. BBC Four uh, on Thursday, the 25th of March. My final film of the week, uh, Thursday, the 25th of March, also 9 p.m. over on Sony Movies, and I've gone for the film Baby Driver. Now, B- 
because of all the, um, um, the, the sort of the, you know the the, um, the news of, of Kevin Spacey, I think there is a there is a sort of tendency to often forget about the body of work that someone has done. Yeah, and I think this is a film that that suffered somewhat because this was. I think this film came out just before all the news of Kevin Spacey broke. Uh, but yeah, I think that there is a very good argument for saying that you should separate the art from the artist. And Kevin Spacey is good in this, but this isn't a Kevin Spacey movie. And there is a lot more to this movie than that. And um, it, it's... Um, it yeah, is quite it's, creepy, it's a, it's a isn't it? Film. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Knowing now what we do, mm-hmm. it, it mm-hmm. makes him creepier. Um, yeah um, but uh, yes uh, it's a very simple premise really it says here after being coerced into working for a crime boss a young getaway driver with tinnitus um, takes part in a heist doomed to fail Edgar Wright's musical themed action thriller starring Ansel Elgort Kevin Spacey and John Hamm and uh, Edgar Wright uh, is a British director who has worked a lot with Simon Pegg and made um, Shaun of the Dead yeah, and Hot Fuzz, and um, they've done other things. End of the world, the world's end, world's end, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Cornetto yeah, trilogy, isn't it? That's it. Yeah, that's how they are known. Um, but Baby Driver, it, it's it's difficult to describe how integral to the story the soundtrack is. Hmm. But the soundtrack has been very carefully curated to fit the movie, and apparently when it was written. It had to be these songs that they had to have in it. That sometimes with movies, they they, they think, oh, it would, a particular song would work well here, and then for, for whatever licensing reason, they decide to swap it out and put a different one in. But with this, it, uh, I, I read that um, Edgar Wright was insistent that it had to be this specific list of songs, and it wouldn't work if it wasn't. And the way that the movie is choreographed to fit the songs, and the way that the songs work with the film, it it, it is something I don't think I've ever quite seen before in a film that isn't a musical. But in, in some ways, it almost is a musical. But the music is not being performed by the perform- by the people on the screen. It's being it's the soundtrack of the movie. Yeah, I mean, there are things like when 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 uh, sounds are made, they are done in time to the music. You know, like uh, I think there's you know if there's some shooting, um, you know that that the, the gunshots are, are in time with the music. Uh, yeah. and stuff like that yeah I mean it's very clever um, mm. I was surprised it only got two stars in the in the listings magazine that I use well they're wrong well I think think so I mean it, yeah I mean it, it's not it is a bit flawed I mean I think some of the I think the story is a bit dopey um, and I think some of the characters aren't you know terribly interesting um but I mean, it's got you know reasonably good cast. I, I, I'm always disappointed in John Hamm. I must admit. I think ever since anything he's done outside of of um, Mad, Men. Mad Men, I think has generally been disappointing. But I mean, yeah, you've got Jamie Fox, you've got um, John Bernthal, uh, John Hamm, uh, and Lily James, who we've not mentioned as well. She's the sort of the the love interest. Yeah. I mean, and there's one bit in it. Well, I mean, there, there are two bits that I think are memorable in it. There's the first, the first scene, the first getaway scene, which I think is is pretty impressive. Um, but th- th- then also the very end of the film as well, I think is good. I won't, I won't say um, 
what happens. I mean, it's not nothing really happens to be fair, but you're you're waiting for the titular song uh, all the way through the film. Well, I am anyway. In the same way as well, when I watched um, the uh, the film, uh, the, the jukebox musical with the Proclaimers. Um, for, I was waiting for 500 miles, and of course that okay. comes right at the end. Yeah, and because I remember you telling me that when when you first saw the film, and I didn't know that there was a song. Was it Simon and Garfunkel? Yeah, but the Baby Driver. Yeah, didn't know the song, so um, so I wasn't waiting for one at all. And then and then when you said you you, you pulled the face you're pulling right now mm. when I said this to you before. Mm. Um, yeah, I can imagine but, but, I would have pulled that face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were very you disappointed. You didn't know that. I just astonished. Yeah, no sound of silence, is it? But. Um, um, or 59th Bridge Street song but there you go uh, but yeah the, the beginning of um, of Baby Driver as well I think the opening sequence which which is all this beautifully choreographed single camera um, sort of uh, the spectacle um, set to the music to is it the Harlem Shuffle um, and the original version not the Rolling Stones version uh, and, and the way that that suddenly there's like a piece of graffiti that the camera goes past at the exact moment that the words of that in that graffiti were sung and 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 it was those sorts of things and and, and the way the way that that was done in the at the opening of the movie it really sets the tone for for how slick and um captivating the film is yeah Uh, yeah i mean it's very wonderful film there's a lot to like about it yeah so that's uh, that's my final choice for the week, Baby Driver, which is on uh, Thursday, the twenty fifth of March, nine pm on Sony Movies. So Simon, what that leaves now is oh. uh, your pick of the week. Oh yeah, I, forget, I always forget that. Um. So I will preamble slightly while you quickly scan your list. So so what Simon, what we ask is for if there's one film of the week that each of us would nom- would would select over and above our other films, which one would it be? Um, not necessarily the best film of the week, but but the one that we think is, is worth you watching perhaps one you haven't seen before I think I'm going to go for Terminator <laughs> okay yeah I haven't seen uh, it for right. a while no okay fair enough I mean I, I think you had two absolute classics I'd have put above that but but yeah oh, really? um, okay. I, I would have gone with A Time to Kill I think or maybe Murder on the Orient Express what, just another John Grisham film or Agatha Christie film yeah what, as opposed to you just picking the Terminator again? Yeah, it's an original. <laughs> so, so t- well, okay, okay yeah. it's your choice. The, the Terminator is Simon's uh, choice. and this. I week, mean, you must admit, I've... John Grisham films, I mean, they, they, I, I like them. I've got nothing against them. But, and I picked one this week, but, you know, they, you know, a John Grisham film is a John Grisham film, and let's be honest... Well, you see, so I, I like courtroom thrillers. Yeah, and I do. I, be it film or TV. And, and and I think that A Time to Kill is one of my favourites, um, along with uh, A Few Good Men, I think is, is, a, is a great one. Twelve Angry Men is another, mm. um, you know, great movie. There, there's so many of them. that, that Twelve really Angry good. Birds, no, that's a good one. <laughs> you've made that one up. Anyway. Um, okay, so, uh, yeah, Simon's choice is The Terminator, and I'm going to go for Baby Driver. Okay. Because I think of my of my choice, I think that probably is the, the, the best one that I have picked for the week. So those are our um, recommendations for the week. Uh, and um, we'll be back next week doing this all over again. Uh, but, Simon, tell us uh, quickly about Sunday, because you've got your mm-hmm. other podcast that comes out on a Sunday. Well, um, uh, the passage I'm preaching on is not... A particularly um, 
it's not particularly special, let's say. There's nothing particularly special about it. But one of the last times I preached on it, it was in 2003. And Lent during 2003 was the time when the Allied forces were advancing through Iraq from uh, Kuwait to Baghdad. And as they were making that journey, so we were following the, the journey of Jesus from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And um, we didn't know what awaited the Allies when they got to Baghdad. Uh, and uh, so there was this sort of parallel journeying. Um, and so I'm, I'm sort of re- revisiting that, that sense of following that journey of of those who were going from uh, Kuwait to Baghdad all those years ago. Okay. So that's uh, that's the Dagnall Street Baptist Church virtual service, which uh, comes out on Sunday mornings. And uh, you can uh, listen to that uh, as a podcast and you can subscribe to it. Just go on your podcast platform of choice and search for Dagnall Street or go onto our website, stormanspodcast.com, and you can find all the details of how to subscribe to all of our podcasts there. And if you find last week's uh, Dagnall Baptist Church virtual service, then you'll also find the link to the special um, video service that you did for Mothering Sunday. So it is no longer Mothering Sunday, but you could still go and uh, and watch that, uh, that mm. video, which I gather was it's particularly family friendly, isn't it? It's oh, very much was, so. Uh, yeah, there's crafts you know. that you can uh, you can do, and um, uh, you can do ac- join in with action songs and groan at my awful pun visual pun um and uh yeah it's yeah, i hope it's good fun. you look really you look really pleased with yourself i was i was oh, yeah. very pleased with it but you know it is awful but you know okay well we won't say more than that mm. because then that might encourage the yeah. listener to go and have a watch yeah. of it but maybe on a future week you can share it with us yeah. so okay uh, yeah anyway uh in the meantime simon thank you very much and uh, we'll be back doing the podcast doing the film guide around about the same time next week goodbye